welcome back to Kahului Baptist Church. If you're just joining us online again, I want to welcome you. Thank you from wherever you are. Uh, and this is a very special Resurrection Sunday. Um, the title of the sermon, maybe some of you saw the flyer or not, and you wondered, is that a typo? Is that intentional? The title of the sermon is The Main Event. The Main Event. Not M-A-I-N, but M-A-N-E. The Main Event. Uh, that was not a typo. As you will see, our passage today is Daniel. The famous passage of Daniel in the lion's den. And so uh, I hope we are blessed in our time in God's word today. Today is April 12th, or this day that you're watching this is April 12th. On April 12th, the year 1850, the world saw the death of a man of whom the book of Hebrews would say, the world was not worthy. 170 years ago, on this day, Adoniram Judson, the first, one of the first missionary uh, Baptist missionaries uh, in Myanmar, or what was then called Burma, Adoniram Judson died at sea, alone. He died after suffering greatly for the gospel and spending almost 40 years in the mission field. Think about that. In his first 12 years, he saw 18 converts. He labored for 12 years and saw 18 converts. That alone would make many give up, would make many throw in the towel, call it quits. But when you add to that imprisonment for a year and a half, when you add to that the death of two wives, more than four children, intense depression, and ultimately sickness that would take his life and cause him to die all alone at sea. With some of his last words being, how few there are who die so hard. How few there are who die so hard. When you add all of that together, you have to ask 170 years later, what kept him going? What kept him pressing on? What cause or promise of hope would justify enduring a life of such great suffering and loss? Was it worth it? What would Adoniram have said if we asked him if it was worth it? Well, today's passage in Daniel 6 is perhaps one of the most famous passages and stories in the entire Bible. Even if you have uh, never been to church or if you've barely ever been to church your first time growing up or, or hearing these stories, you probably have some familiarity with the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And so I hope as we set this story in the larger context in the book of Daniel, I hope that maybe you see, no matter how long you've been a Christian, whether you're a new Christian or you're exploring the Christian faith or you've been a Christian your entire life, I hope by the end of today you see some things, and I'm almost positive you will, that perhaps you've never seen before, and that as you have a captivated, captivated mind, that you would also have an adoring heart of our great God and Savior. And as we look at this passage in Daniel 6, we're going to see that it gives all of us 
a picture of that invincible, unshakable hope, that sure foundation that drove Daniel to remain devoted even at the cost of his life, and Adoniram to remain diligent even in the face of death and visibly abysmal results. And by the grace of God, today we will find great hope and encouragement on this Resurrection Sunday as well. So join me in a word of prayer and we'll get into it. Father in heaven, we praise you for the heritage that has been passed down to us in the gospel of Christ. We praise you that even as I stand in a graveyard full of the loved ones of, of various families and friends, those who have passed, that we, we honor we honor the work of Christ, that one day we'll see deliverance, ultimate deliverance, and the end of death and suffering. And I pray, Father, that as your promise is sure and steady, that there is life in Christ for all who repent of their sins and believe. I pray as sure as that promise is true, that many this morning, even right now, would perhaps give their life to Christ, that even right now we are seeing uh, death undone in this world and the inbreaking of your kingdom that will last forever and ever. And so, Father, would you get much glory in our church? Would you get much glory as your word is proclaimed? Because it is powerful and it will accomplish all that you purpose it to do so. Give us understanding, give us focus, uh, give us a singularity of mind to hear and receive what you have for us from your word. And I pray uh, for our sister church, for our church plant, Waihu Community Church, would you strengthen the hearts of the disciples there, strengthen the body of Christ spread across Maui, and would you get much praise and glory through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I have three points. Point number one, the descent. The descent. Point number two, the deliverance. And point number three, the dominion. The descent, the deliverance, and the dominion. So let's go to point number one. As you heard the text read, we find a plot has been hatched against Daniel. We find a scheme to, uh, to try and usurp his position, not just to overthrow him from his role, but to actually have him killed in connection with the law of his God. They sought to find some reason or grounds of accusation to, to lobby against Daniel, but he was blameless. He was blameless. He was a faithful politician. Some have said uh, that's a, a miracle on par with the deliverance from the lion's den. A faithful politician. And so Daniel was blameless in this. And we see the king's response. Once the king finds out that this plan is lobbied against Daniel, we find the king uh, in this accusation is greatly distressed in his mind. And he sets himself out in verses 14 to 18 to try to, to find some way to deliver Daniel from certain death. See, this plan entailed uh, for 30 days that no man in all the kingdom should uh, ask anything of another man or another god. And this, this plan was specifically aimed at Daniel, but the king didn't know it until Daniel's accusers brought the charge. Daniel, second in command, Daniel doesn't regard you, king. He doesn't pay attention to your laws, your edicts. 
He doesn't care about what you say. He's openly disregarding you is how they painted it. And so the king immediately realizes what he's done and he sets his heart to deliver Daniel. It says he had great distress. You have to remember the Persians were different from the Babylonians. The Babylonians, they believed their king was a god, that he was to be worshipped. But the Persians often didn't do that with their kings. They prided themselves on the rule of law. Whereas a Babylonian king could change the law because he was considered a god, the, the Persian kings had to submit to the law. It could not be changed once it was passed. Not even the king could change it. And so, we see in this the king's care for Daniel. He knows Daniel's blameless, but he's also stuck in a hard place. He knows Daniel shouldn't get this penalty, but he also can't change the law. Does that sound like anybody else on this Resurrection Sunday? Is that ringing any other bells for you? It should. Does it sound perhaps like Pontius Pilate? As he interviews Jesus prior to his crucifixion and he finds nothing in Jesus that is worthy of death. And yet he's in a hard place. On one hand, he wants to deliver Jesus, but on the other hand, he wants to stop uh, an insurrection or an uproar amongst the Jewish people as they are calling for his crucifixion. What does he do? He's in a hard place, just like the king was with Daniel. You'll find that's not the first parallelism with our Lord and Savior in today's text. And so the text portrays not even the most powerful man in the entire Persian Empire was able to deliver Daniel. This is no insignificant detail. The king's inability to deliver Daniel from the penalty of the law is laced with meaning for us. Think about that. The king's inability to deliver Daniel from the penalty of the law has great meaning for us today. We also noted several times that Daniel, the book as a whole, is a type of resistance literature. So as he reads it, or as a first century Jew would have read it, one of the roles of Daniel is to, is to call the Jews living in exile to remain faithful to God, to not compromise their faith or their devotion to their God. And so as a type of resistance literature, Daniel functions as a representative on behalf of his people. That's really important. Daniel functions in this passage as a representative on behalf of his people. What do, what do I mean by that? Well, as a representative, one of two things likely would have happened in this scenario. Daniel, as the highest ranking exiled Jew, will die under this new law. And one of two things is going to happen. Either the accusers will be satisfied with Daniel's execution and leave the rest of the exiled Jews alone. So either the accusers will be satisfied with Daniel's death and then all the other Jews, they're just going to leave him alone. In this case, if this is what happens, and Daniel knows this, he's in his 80s, his early 80s probably. He knows, he's been in the system, he knows how things work. So in this case, if this is what happens... Daniel is willing to die for his God and on behalf of his people. Perhaps he thinks, man, if they kill me, they'll be satisfied with my death and they'll leave my people alone. And so in this case, Daniel is willing to die for his God and for his people as a representative and a substitute. That's one possibility of what could happen. Or the second possibility 
is after Daniel dies, they'll go after the rest of the Jews, much like we would see in the plan in the book of Esther. That after, if Daniel's executed, they may potentially go after the rest of the exiled Jews. And if that's what happens, in this case, Daniel's refusal to compromise, his devotion, his commitment to remain fast, will bolster the resilience of his people to also remain faithful, even to the point of death. Either way, Daniel remains faithful on behalf of his people and is cast into the den of lions. We find, as the text says, once the plot is hatched and the king finds there's no way he can deliver, deliver him, it says Daniel was cast into the den of lions. The king basically wishes him the best. I hope your God can deliver you, is able to deliver you, Daniel. He covers the den or the pit with a large stone. So there's these lions in this pit or in a den and they kept them in there. And, and then they put Daniel in there and you can just picture it. They cover it with a large stone. The king had a signet ring and it was sealed. He sealed it with his ring. He sealed the, the we could say a tomb well, it should have been a tomb with his ring. And that's interesting because when a, when a king seals, puts his seal on something, what it means in that day, and even today, is uh, only the king or a higher power can break the seal without bearing penalty. Again, does that sound like there's any parallels to you? Do you hear any overlaps with other stories? I certainly hope you do as the tomb of Jesus was sealed with a guard around it and a tomb rolled in front of it. And so, Daniel's cast in and sealed with these lions. Certain doom is what's expected next. The king goes home to his palace and has a very long sleepless night, a night full of anxiety and concern. Have you ever had a night like that? Maybe a, a, a night when it just seemed to last forever, when you woke up and it seems like every hour on the hour, it was 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and you just keep waiting for the night to pass. Have you ever had a night like that? That's what the king, King Darius, had. Again, I hope all of this sounds familiar to you as we consider the resurrection, the death, uh, resurrection of our Savior. There's no accident there. See, these events are historical shadows in Daniel 6. They're shadows that point to the substance of Christ. And so we could say the Old Testament is Jesus Christ concealed, as one artist put it. The New Testament is Jesus Christ revealed. And so we see in shadow the picture of redemption, the history of redemption here in Daniel. And so Daniel's cast in and locked into the den of lions. And lest we think these are maybe cute cats like you see on TV or watching YouTube videos or whatever Tiger King that thing is, I don't know. Lest you think these are some cute, playful, big cats and people are just playing with them and can handle them. No, these, these are not the case with these lions. They are often kept hungry, half-starved on purpose, so that when the time was needed, they would devour whatever was put in front of them. And if you think about it, uh, maybe for those of you who have cats or are cursed to have cats like myself, my own cat, uh, my, my son's cat, uh, my own cat, 
when she's half hungry, will swat at my legs. That's just a simple house cat. What would you think a full-grown lion would do who's hungry and he sees an easy meal? See, we are familiar with this. We've actually seen this. We have our own account. We could call it uh, Scarlet in the Tiger's Cage. Uh, when we went to the Big Island a few years ago with our Ohana, uh, we, there's a zoo on the Big Island. A lot of people don't realize that. If you've been there, there's a pretty cool zoo. Uh, it's free, or it was free, mostly free. Um, and there they have a tiger. They have, I think, two or three tigers, an orange one and, and a white one. And we took our family there and, and Scarlet, and really it's an enclosure and it's a chain link fence. It doesn't seem uh, like something that a tiger would be contained by. And so my daughter, she was about two or three at the time, was, was kind of running around the fence out there. And this tiger just locked onto her. And his eyes, he just focused on her. And he crawled up to that fence and started pacing back and forth and he crouched down and he was doing that wiggle thing with their shoulders where they just want to pounce and we got we got our our daughter and we we left it was a very uncomfortable feeling to see this huge cat that could just shred a human stalking our daughter i can only imagine what daniel felt in that pit as lions are surrounding him and just like that tiger waiting to pounce. These lions would have been hungry. And Daniel was sealed inside this den with them. And do you feel the tension in the story here? Now we know the outcome because we've heard the story maybe at vacation Bible schools and Sunday schools, but the, the first readers would have been on the edge of their seat wondering as, he's, as the tomb is sealed or as the pit is sealed, they'd be wondering, is he going to make it? Is God going to deliver Daniel or is he going to be handed over to the lions? They would have had great tension at this point. Which leads us to point number two. The deliverance. So Daniel descends into the lion's den in verses 19 to 24. We see point two, the deliverance. The text says at the break of day, we could say sunrise. At the break of day, the king, immediately after his long, sleepless night, gets up out of bed, and the first thing he wants to do is he wants to go and see if Daniel, he wants to go check on Daniel. Did he make it through the night? Again, does that sound familiar? The first day, the break of day. Chapter 6, verse 20 says this of the king. He comes up to the den. Here's what it says. Look, uh, follow along in your Bible, chapter 6, verse 20. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? You can just imagine the silence. I bet the silence in that moment as he waited for a response felt like an eternity. Has he been able to deliver you? Waiting. Suddenly, the silence breaks. Verse 21, O king, live forever! I can just imagine the joy that swelled up inside the king as he heard that, O king, live forever! My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. 
It's incredible. The text goes on to say that no kind of harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. No kind of harm, verse 23, was found on him because he trusted in his God. That's true for all of us, beloved. That's true for everybody. For all who place their faith in God through Christ, there is no harm to be found ultimately for us. For the enemies of Daniel, the text goes on, it shows us, they and their families are thrown into the lion's den and they're immediately torn into pieces and their bones are broken by the lions. It's a graphic image, actually. It's a graphic scene of the text. You often don't see that scene in the children's Bibles or in the children's storybooks. You just kind of see this final scene of, of Daniel, maybe with a nice trimmed goatee with the lions and they're all kind of half smiling and smirking, but the children... Uh, the last scene is omitted. Understandably, it is a graphic depiction. It's worth saying here uh, that the Persian king's example to throw all of the, the enemies or all the other people with their wives and children into the den is not something the text commends as a good thing. It just records as a fact. It just records as a fact. See, the law of Moses was very clear that children would not suffer or would not be bear the penalty of the sins of their fathers. It was quite clear with that. And so it just records this as a historical fact, not as a point of uh, to be upheld or commended. And so what's the takeaway here? What's the takeaway here in all of this? Perhaps we would say, as many, could, many have said, God will deliver you from the lions in your life. Is that the takeaway? Be a Daniel. God will deliver you from the lions. What are the lions in your life? God's going to deliver you. Is that how we are meant to take this text? Again, I would suggest yes and no. Not quite in a one-to-one -one fashion, but by virtue of a mediator. By virtue of a mediator. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Remember, Daniel was a representative of his people in this resistance literature. So what we find is in Daniel's deliverance, his people find protection, safety, and deliverance from death as well. You see that? In Daniel's deliverance from the lion's den, his people, by virtue of his success, of his deliverance, his people find deliverance and safety from death as well. What they see is that the very system of justice, the law of the Medes and the Persians, the very system of justice that once seemingly worked against them, now in the mystery of God's providence, now stands for them and acts against their enemies. That's a takeaway. The very system of justice and legislation that once condemned them to death, now in God's mysterious providence through the decree of Darius, now turned around and stands for them and against their enemies. Does that sound familiar to you? I hope it does. You see, how does this all work out? Because Jesus, our greater Daniel, Whereas Daniel was spared from the lion's mouth, Jesus would not be. Jesus would not be spared from the lions, from death. No, his task was different. Jesus would be handed over to death. 
Satan, like a roaring lion, would devour him. But three days later, three days later, Christ rose from the dead, finally, ultimately, and forever, breaking the power of sin, breaking the power of the law. And that law that once stood against us because Christ would conquer death like Daniel in his deliverance through death, all who trust in him find safety and protection. And just like the Israelites of the day, as we read this, one day we will see, one day we will see that the very system of justice, namely God's law, the Ten Commandments, the very system of justice that we have broken that once worked against us, now in Christ stands for us and against the enemies of the gospel. And in this way, God is just and the justifier of the ungodly. Hallelujah. Praise God forevermore. Beloved, I pray if you're hearing me today for the first time this gospel message, I pray that you will find hope and life and forgiveness of sins is available in Jesus, our greater Daniel, that he stands as a representative, just as Daniel did, for all who trust in him. And he doesn't deliver us just from death and a lion's den. He delivers us from the very wrath of God and the second death forevermore. And that's offered to you today, freely. Freely, by faith and repentance. Simply turning from your sins, turning from being your own king, your right to self-determination, repenting from those things, and turning and trusting in Christ. It's available to all of you today. And I pray, believer, as you hear these things, maybe for the first time looking at Daniel in this way, I pray that it moves you to worship our great God. Sometimes as we see the beauties of scripture and the intricacies of them and we're going to see a little bit more in a minute it just should move us to worship god for what he's done in redemptive history how he has plotted out such a parallelism should move us to worship our minds to be blown and to just adore him so we see the deliverance of daniel pointing forward to the greater deliverance that is available to all people in christ and believer i hope you hear me you need jesus today just as much, if not more, than when you first met him, than the day you first gave your life to him. You need him today just as much, and I hope you draw near to his side, no matter what curveballs life has thrown at you since the day you first professed faith in Christ. I pray today you will see you have a representative in Christ who offers you deliverance today just as much as he did on day one. Which leads us to our last point. Point number three, the dominion, verses 25 to 28, the dominion. What I want to do is read this passage. This portion is, is very short, and I just want to read it with you, if I may. Uh, Daniel chapter 6, verse 25, we'll start there. It says this, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. First, let me pause there and just make a note. We, we noted this with uh, Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar's decree, but it's worth noting again here, if this were today, 
fast forward to today. If this happened today, this would be a news broadcast by, covered by every major broadcasting network, ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, CNN, uh, all of them, all, all channels would be canceled. And, and you would see this is the magnitude of this proclamation as the king is speaking and issuing a royal decree to everybody in his empire, which for the Persians was believed to be, and, and almost was, uh, a huge, massive chunk of the earth. And to them, it was the whole earth. Every news channel would have been tuned in here. This would be headline news more than the coronavirus. This would be passing every headline, every website, social media, everything would be covering this. Darius to all peoples, nations, and languages. I want you to I don't want to stop emphasizing the missional message of Daniel. This portion specifically, chapters 2 to chapter 7, was written not in Hebrew, but in Aramaic. Aramaic was the common language, the, the business language, the trade language of that day, much like perhaps English would be today. It was the language of the people. Everybody who did anything in the world knew Aramaic. And this is why, because God has a message for the nations. God has a heart for the nations. The nations are not an afterthought in God's plan. The Gentiles were not God's plan B or a, a mystery that was concealed in the Old Testament. That was God's plan since the beginning, explicitly revealed in the prophets. To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, God has always had a missional heart. He had it in Daniel. He has it today. He has it today, KBC. And here we are, scattered, the church scattered, unable to gather. We're forcibly scattered by virtue of a plague or, or disease, a virus. I don't know the medical terms. I'm sure there's a difference between all of those things. But uh, A virus, we're scattered. God has scattered us for a missional purpose, to be a light to our neighbors, to show the hope of Christ in great trials and circumstances. God is a heart for the nations today still. And he says, he makes this decree that all people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. It goes on to say in verse 26, for he is the living God, enduring forever. That's an Easter passage right there. Maybe you say, why are we in Daniel? Shouldn't we be maybe in Matthew chapter 28, the resurrection account, or the end of Mark, or towards the end of Luke, or John, and talking about the resurrection, those real, or maybe Paul. Paul's a good, you know, lots of resurrection stuff in Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, maybe. Why are we in Daniel? Oh, beloved, this is a resurrection text if there ever was one. He is the living God. Out of the mouth of King Darius, we hear, he endures forever. God is a living God. Jesus is a living Savior. You can't help but remember the words of the disciples when, when, when they asked Jesus uh, in, in, right before he died in his farewell address. They asked him, uh, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Just show us the Father before you leave. We just want to see that that will be enough. And you remember, remember Jesus, how he answered them? Have I been with you so long and still you don't get it? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. 
Think about stunning of a statement that is, Jesus is one with the Father, yet distinct from the Father, such that if you see the Son, he says you've seen the Father, and Jesus died and he rose again. He is the living God, and he is enduring forever, and he is coming again. Darius goes on, his kingdom shall, be, shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. Oh, that is all about the reign of Jesus, beloved. All about the reign of Jesus, as we are going to see. It says, he delivers and rescues. Do you need deliverance today? Do you need deliverance do you need rescue? Maybe you found yourself uh, trapped in your sin or ensnared in your sin. Maybe you find yourself hopeless or, or needing help because you have an oppressor who is, is attacking you or using their power to push you down. Do you need deliverance? Do you need rescue? Jesus is an able deliverer, a mighty savior, an unfailing rescuer. He has never failed to save one person yet who has called out to him, and he never will. He works signs and wonders. The, the chief sign that we look to on this side of the cross is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So many people come to me, Pastor, I just wish I had a sign from God that I, that I knew what he wanted me to do, that, that I knew he was real, that I knew that there was a God. They want to see a sign or a miracle. To which I tell them, Beloved, the chief miracle that we are appointed to, the last miracle that Christ himself points to, is his resurrection from the dead three days later. Look to the empty tomb and find all the assurance you need. Find all the veracity that you need to know that God's promises are true because Christ is alive. That is our chief sign. And he has worked that sign and that wonder. And it's visible in heaven and on earth and to all who see. Verse 27, he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. There's perhaps one last point I'd like to draw out and then close. We see this picture of Daniel standing in the lion's, uh, in the lion's den, delivered from, we could say, from these beasts, from these lions. Consider that this is a, a type of literary foreshadowing it's a living picture. Uh, it's a microcosm of what we're about to see in the vision of Daniel chapter 7, which we have to wait till September, by the way, to fully expound on. Sorry, I know you guys want to do it sooner. But I encourage you, read ahead, and you're going to see another vision. Daniel's going to have a vision, and he's going to see four terrible beasts. And these beasts rise up. And they inflict all sorts of pain and damage and on the world empires. And this is a type of literary foreshadowing as Daniel is delivered from these four beasts. What we have is a picture of the man of God. In chapter 7, we'll see the Son of Man standing before the Ancient of Days. We see here now, before that, a picture of the man of God being delivered from these beasts and it points to the victorious kingdom of God reigning over the empires of the world forever and ever. That is just stunning if you think about it.
It's just stunning. You say, why is that stunning? Because here's what this means. It means that Daniel's trial, this trial of false accusation, of, of the scheme of false legislation, this uh, death sentence that he received, it means that Daniel's trial, his suffering, and his ultimate deliverance, while Daniel didn't realize it at the time, this trial was part of the canvas and the redemptive story of God's ultimate victory. His hardship was a small piece of the picture of God's redemptive working and ultimate victory. Beloved, let me ask you, what trial and suffering are you listening today with? What is in your life right now? What fear or what sorrow grips your heart as you hear me? Where and how are you perhaps tempted to compromise your faith? I want to urge you, remain faithful. Remain faithful. Look to Jesus, our greater Daniel, and you will likewise find that your current trials, your current sufferings are soon to be revealed as part of the canvas of God's triumph over sin, over death, and we will reign with him forever and ever. Let's close with this. Let's return to Adoniram Jetson, the missionary to Burma or modern-day Myanmar. What would he have said? 170 years ago, he died after a lifetime of suffering and deprivation. What would he have said? Was it worth it? Was it worth it? He undoubtedly would have answered, absolutely. Absolutely. Today, in Myanmar, when he died, there was a uh, hundred churches. After 40 years of ministry, a hundred churches and 8,000 Christians. Today, there are more than 4 million Christians in Myanmar. All of them owe their spiritual heritage, every single one of them, to the work of Adoniram Judson. Beloved, our King has risen. He has risen indeed, and it is worth casting your lots in entirely, completely committing your life to Christ. And we, we are part of a kingdom that will reign forever and ever. So I hope wherever you're joining us today, that today, this Resurrection Sunday, death is, our enemy has been conquered, our hope is secure. And so I pray that you will commit your life to King Jesus today or recommit your life to King Jesus, sell out for him and follow him. He has never failed anybody yet. He delivers from the power of the lions. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the living God. You endure forever and ever. Father, we pray that your kingdom would come, that you would come quickly, even today as I speak. Would you come? Would you bring us to yourself? Father, I pray that our separation from one another would, would cultivate a desire for one another, to see one another face to face, and beyond that and above that, a desire to see you face to face. And I pray if there are any listening to me 
who are wondering whether it's worth the pain, whether it's worth the loss, whether it's worth the animosity that they might feel from others around them, to cast in their lots with Jesus, to commit their life to Jesus, I pray that they would do so today and that they would find that there is a living Savior who can deliver them from any power and all power. And so, Lord, would you do this, we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. All right, now is the time of response. Uh, I invite you, if, if you've given your life to Christ, if you've committed to, to follow Jesus wholly, would you let me know? Would you reach out? Shoot me an email, randypolly at yahoo.com. Uh, send me a text message. My number, 808-740-4111. 808-740-4111. That'll come right here to my phone. Um, please let me know. If you've done that, I'd love to pray with you and, and pray for you. Maybe you have something else pressing on you that you need prayer about. Please text me or email me those prayer requests. I am praying over them and will continue to pray over all that I receive. Second way you can respond is I encourage you to give. Our giving is an act of worship to our God where it shows that uh, in God we trust, not in money we trust, that God is our strong wall. And so uh, I pray that you would respond in giving. You can give online. I encourage you to do that now, or you can send it in. That is also a response. There's a third way that I ask all of us to respond, which will be our corporate worship and singing. And you can know as you join us in singing that believers, your KBC Ohana all across the island is singing as well. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Resurrection Sunday. God bless.